Ladies and gentlemen, we shot this week's segment just before Team USA and France locked horns in Japan. But we'd be remiss if we didn't take time to salute the heroic effort from the Eagles against Les Bleus. A three-point game 66 minutes in. Is this a turning point in Team USA's World Cup history? <laughs> Coming up next on Rugby Wrap-Up, Mike Friday and George Hook talk Rugby World Cup. Everybody, welcome to Rugby Wrap Up in Midtown Manhattan. I'm Matt McCarthy talking rugby, and I'm talking Rugby World Cup rugby with some of the biggest names in the game. And you'd be remiss if you didn't have a world class sevens coach on the horn when you're talking rugby 15s in the World Cup. And we have the coach of the second ranked team in the world, Mr. Mike Friday. Michael, welcome. Hi there, how are we? All good? All good. Look at you. You look great. But we're, we're here to wipe that smile off your seven's face because I have George Hook calling in from Dublin. George, welcome. I'm delighted to hear there's a sevens coach on. This is going to be good fun if we ever get to talk about it. Because you'd probably want to talk about, you know, Tonga and Fiji and heaven knows what uh, and miss all the key things. But hopefully this week's going to be different. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because we're going to start right. We're going to get right in with Tonga, Fiji. No, we're not. Uh, Mike, Japan, World Cup. You have the Japan, the Tokyo Olympics next year for sevens. You've got to be excited about this country and the performance that it's been putting on in terms of production value, transportation, except if you're the home team trying to get there for the opening game, and the infrastructure. What, what are your, yeah, what's your take on it? Yeah, we we, we had, used to have a, a serious leg in Tokyo, um, and traffic was the only issue in terms of things being kind of military on, on point, everything you needed and you wanted then um, the Japanese certainly delivered. And I think they've gone beyond expectations in this World Cup. I think uh, the production, the stadiums, the supporters, the buy-in has just been absolutely first class from game one. So I think Japan have done a wonderful job. I'm hoping they can sort out the weather in time for Tokyo 2020 because that humidity uh, is playing havoc with those boys and their ball handling. Well, we could talk about that in a separate show about ball handling, but you are playing in Chula Vista, and that's that's hot weather, right? Yeah, it is different weather though. Um, I think the reality is the humidity makes it even harder because the the ball is as greasy as can be. Yet the, the heat and the and the and and that part of it is easy for us to to adapt to and something that we're used to. It's it's just dealing with the humidity and the way that that will sap the energy out of the out of our players and all players come come the Olympics and is certainly uh, is playing its part in the World Cup um, in the 15s at the moment. All right, Mike. Before I get to Nostradamus Hook here, uh, do you think that Japan's sevens team has any shot in hell at? coming anywhere near what their 15s counterparts just did? Well, without a shadow. I mean, in, in Rio, they shocked everybody in Rio and finished fourth. So, you know, Japan have built up a rugby pedigree, um, a lot of it imported. 
but but nonetheless, um, they have certainly built credibility, built a, a, a very good competition, and you know they have certainly announced themselves on the world stage and and have been doing so for the last three or four years. And and in the sevens, they shocked a few people with some of the results in Rio. And I've had no doubt on home soil they'll be very, very tough opponents for anybody that has to play them. Fair enough. George, I want to segue to you. And I'd, I'd be on bended knee right now, but the camera, I'd be below the camera angle. But you on this very show said that Japan could very well knock off Ireland in the Rugby World Cup. And yours truly, along with every other person on the planet outside the two of us, said you were crazy, said you were just saying things to say things, and look what happened. I, I mean, you're kind to call me Nostradamus, but I mean, I, I, I think it was pretty obvious if you actually looked at it, and that's not with hindsight, because I said it before the match. Japan have been preparing for this game for a long time. Ireland have a very, 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 and increasingly very predictable coach. And Ireland are now the most easily read rugby tournament of the major nations uh, in this competition. Everybody knows that you, you beat Ireland out wide, you move them round, and their only answer is pass it to a forward who goes crash, and it's crash-bang-wallop for the game. And Japan just handled that. Now, uh, the Irish media, of course, uh, have got a lot of excuses. It was the humidity. It was the referee. um, It was the hooker. They've got every excuse under the sun, except the main reason why we lost, the coach. And the coach in the most, in I think the biggest error of his career, did not pick a fit Johnny Sexton to play in the most important game in the tournament. And to to say he's now fed, he's place kicking, he's doing everything well um, for four or five days later is nonsense. I mean, the only people who believe the, the news coming out of the medical department of the Irish training camp are people who still believe in the fifth secret of Fatima. They, <laughs> there is no integrity whatsoever. And, and he lost the match. And he may well lose the group uh, because they're not picking Johnny Sexton. But to give you an idea how blasé the Irish media are, the Irish media are still suggesting that the winners of this group are going to be Ireland and the runners-up are going to be Scotland, if you can believe that. I mean, Crazy. this is extraordinary. There is no critical analysis of the Irish performance in the World Cup whatsoever. You have a totally cowed media and Schmidt has cowed them uh, for the last number of years, and they're terrified to say a word. So, Mike, I want to follow that up with a couple of different points for you to address. A, as a coach, Joe Schmidt said that World Rugby had communicated to him that at least three offsides calls that went against Ireland shouldn't have been offsides calls, number, number one. Number two, You've had to make tough selections in sevens in different tournaments, including the Olympics. Got a guy like Sexton, and he's a little bit dinged up. 
Do you sit him versus Japan and get him healthy, knowing that you could possibly, not that he was thinking of it, but possibly lose to Japan and still get out of the round and still win the World Cup? I think on the, on the offsides, I think the reality is, I don't think World Rugby would ever would say that. And it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, they weren't given on the day. So it's a non-point. You know, we've all been on the rough end of some decisions, but I don't. I, I can't imagine Schmidt would actually hang his hat on that. Really, I think on the on the Sexton point, I mean, I'll agree with George. If Sexton was fit to play, he should have played because he makes Ireland tick in attack um, without a shadow of a doubt. They are a, a very different team without Johnny Sexton, and Conor Murray is a very different animal without Johnny Sexton as well. And I think it was a huge gamble if um, if Sexton was fit. I think if Sexton was 90% fit, I would have played him because I think if you beat Japan, then you pretty much take control of the group. And they got out Ireland, I thought. I thought they got taught a lesson defensively in terms of chop tackling and how to get how to slow ball down. And, and also the Japanese forwards produced such quick ball, which then allowed, as George said, for the for the for the Japanese to attack them out wide. I still I still do believe controversially that I think Ireland and Scotland will progress from the group because I think Scotland will beat Japan. You know, I, I think it, it's insanely tight and, and Ireland probably got it wrong on selection if if Sexton was available or able to play because he is the difference for Ireland, in my, in my opinion. Maybe we didn't know the extent of Sexton's injuries. That's why he was sitting. And maybe that one match... He could recover. But it gets to a point that I know that you want to address, and that's player welfare. Do you risk a, do you risk a guy when he's dinged up for the sake of that immediate win, or do you look at the bigger picture? Well, there are two pictures when you look at player welfare. Uh, the, the issue of player welfare is turnaround in this tournament. Compare the schedule of Russia and the schedule of Japan, for example. Japan's turnarounds are, I think, seven, six, and eight days. I might be a day out in those, but it's something like that. And we've got other teams that are turning around in three and four days, including, as it happens, New Zealand. But the point is, if you're going to bring in a minnows into this competition, and you shouldn't. It shouldn't be a 20-team competition. It should be a 16-team competition. Um, there's no. You're bringing in teams who haven't got a nursery. And I have no. I just don't understand why they're in this this World Cup uh, that it's supposed to be. But if you're turning players around, and you're Russia or you're Samoa or the USA or whoever it happens to be, with smaller squads, depending on more key players, then you're going to see greater damage being done to them. And then this that this red card TMO stuff. Um, we are going to see in the next World Cup, we are going to see the first three-hour game of rugby. I mean, I don't want to turn on my television or I don't want uh, people clearly are unhappy going to the ground and watching interminable conversations with a referee yeah. and a TMO. Was his forearm up? Was his forearm down? Did he dip up? Did he dip down? Nobody's interested. Yeah. And the sanction is retrospective. So therefore, the player is banged up. The player has a traumatic brain injury or he's not going to play again in the tournament because he's injured. 
the, the, the sanction is then a red card. What World Rugby has to do, if it is serious about this game, and if we are not going to have players in their 50s walking around like zombies and they won't know their, their name, we've got to change the game yeah. and be proactive, not retroactive. I'm, I mean, the longer this tournament is going on, the less and less interested I am becoming. Because I have no interest. We, If you want to do a forecast of the next 10 games for the Rugby World Cup, eight of them are foregone conclusions. There's only two competitive games in the next 10, perhaps. So what's the point? And then Schmidt and other coaches are saying, look, it's a 45-day tournament. It's going to be longer. You cannot have a Rugby World Cup, which goes on for two months. For crying out loud, television won't want it. Nobody will want it. The answer is 16 teams, not 20. All right. Well, our med Welshman, Johnny Lewis, who edits this thing, thinks that Japan's success is based on them playing more Tier 1 nations. And if we had World Rugby accepting that and sending Tier 1 nations to play Tier 2 nations, that the level of rugby would improve and that we could even expand to 24 teams. I'm with you. I don't think that we're ready for that right now. I don't think the teams want to see uh, people want to see teams get smashed by 50 points. But Mike, before we take a quick break for commercial, I just wanted to address you with you because you're, you're a, a head coach for one of our national teams here in the United States, but you're an Englishman. What was your take on the lack of a red card, perhaps to your fellow Englishman against team USA? I don't think the Piers Francis um, Hooley was a was was a was a red card. You know, Hooley was dropping. Piers Francis tried to drop. There's mitigating circumstances. But there's too many of those at the moment which are not clear and obvious, and they're the ones that we should be hitting and getting right. Quills was clear and obvious. Yeah. He didn't need to do it. He was tired. He whacked him. We watched Australia Wales. We saw Karevi get reprimanded, which was just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm, with, I'm with George a bit in terms of we need to get the clear and obvious right. If we get the clear and obvious right at, at real time, and I mean uh, at the real time, not slowing everything down, because if you slow everything down, you can make everything look bad. And I think that's what we need to clean up to start with. I think the tackle height is with the responsibility of the tackler in the fact that if, he, if he's fo- focusing on the ball, then he's got to make sure that he hits the ball. And if he slips up, or he hits any higher and makes contact with the neck and, and the head, then then that is on his own head. So I, I just think we're, we're, we're getting a number of these things wrong. And, you know, dare I say it, some of the the comments from Checker about refs being spooked, I, I think it's fair. Um, I think there's a clear tackle structure, um, but I still think we need to use common sense and apply the clear and obvious and be harder on those ones because that will probably clean up the game far quicker than um, all of this kind of video refereeing every five, ten minutes and this appealing that's going on from everybody to, to look up at the at the big screen at every every opportunity. Yeah. Every gasp, every hug, you know, it's all. Yeah. But, but at the same time, to what both of you are basically saying, I don't have nearly the rugby acumen that you guys have, and I can see like a Reese Hodge – I'm like, where's the red card on that one? And and our skeleton friend representation of Steve Lewis, the Springbok uh, and Scottish hat wearing skeleton in the corner, says it's a question of the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer, the champagne socialist with a harumph. On that note, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back 
with George Hook and Mike Friday after this. If you're in New York City and want to watch some great rugby, have some great food, and some great times, go to the world's best rugby pub, The Pig and Whistle on West 36th Street. And we are back. Matt McCarthy with Mike Friday, head coach of Team USA 7s, and George Hook, the pundit extraordinaire from Dublin. George, I wanted to segue rather awkwardly yet smoothly into asking you, who do you think is going to come out and make the quarterfinals out of Scotland, Japan, and Ireland? The most number of points Scotland can get is 15. The most number of points uh, Ireland can get is 16. And the most number of points that Japan can get is 90. So the first thing is you got to think Japan have a, the best chance of topping the pool unless they lose to Scotland. So therefore, let's look at Scotland appalling against Ireland. Suddenly they beat Samoa, you know, who wouldn't knock the skin off a custard. They, they beat Samoa. I'm delighted to welcome the American Sevens coach because if you went to any American rugby follower and said to him, do you want to be second in the world or do you want to be down in the dark and dusty basement of 15-a-side rugby where you can't beat anybody, they would say you play sevens. Sevens is the game America should play, and they should put all their effort, all their enthusiasm, and all their money into sevens. 32 years ago, the USA played England, and they lost because they couldn't scrummage. Incredibly, 32 years pass, and they can't get a scrum. And they will never get a scrum because the 15-a-side game, American sport is based on college sport. Rugby is not a college sport, and it'll never make it. Good night, Josephine. All right, Mike, I got to let you respond to that. And with the consideration that you might be working against yourself uh, in the sense that you, is sevens – the only game for an American audience. And I, I, I sense I just came from covering a college match in Michigan, two college matches, Ohio State versus Indiana and the nightcap in a twin bill, Michigan State versus Michigan, which we got lightninged out in the second one. But I beg to differ with you on that, George, because college rugby is growing. We don't necessarily want to go down the NCAA route here just yet, but that's a whole different show. But Mike, sevens, fifteens, USA, what's your take? George is absolutely right. There has to be a fundamental change in the infrastructure if we're serious about making 15s a sport that we could be seriously good at in the USA. The key to that is making sure that the sevens game is successful and making sure that the sevens team is successful at the Olympics because that's where our natural athletic ability and the ability for crossover, crossover athletes to have a chance of making uh, that change. Um, at, a, at a slightly older age, between the ages of 18 and 22, but still making a big difference on the international stage, will give the opportunity for the American sporting public to capture their imagination, capture the commercial dollar that we need, which will then in turn allow us to grow the 15s game. We probably are 30, 35 years behind in America um, with the professional era, the way that the traditional super tier one nations have gone, where rugby was part of their DNA to start with. Again, I, I, I might be naive, but it certainly doesn't hurt to have a guy like Nate Ebner having Tom Brady salute Team yeah. USA in the World Cup in 15s, but also playing for you guys in, in the Olympics. So 
Guys like that could put immediate, impactful exposure on this game, and that could speed up the process. Wales looks pretty good now on attack, and not just defense. Could it be this change to Stephen Jones from Rob Howley? What What is your take on that from the Chanelli coach coming over? Um, I mean, the Chanelli, Stephen Jones is you know is is a quality coach. Rob Rob's just been caught up in uh, something that just is beyond me that how that's even happened. But I think what Wales are so fortunate in having is Warren Gatland is, he is a big game player and he is able to get a pint and a half out of a pint every time, all the time. So this is their time. And with the experienced group that they have and the ability and self-belief they have with one another, I think what they have with the players like Dan Bigger um, and, and Davis in the centre, and then the back three, Liam Williams, North and Adams, they've got a real balance, a blend of power, pace and physicality with their forwards up front. And they've got a back row that complements whether they want to play a power game, whether they want to play a jackal game. And they've got a set piece that can live with anybody. So I think they're contenders without a shadow. Um, I think Gatland will give them that self-belief that will take them deep into this tournament. I mean... They're going to have to go some to win it, but I think, as George has mentioned, there's probably four or five teams that are winning it and no more. And Wales, I think, are certainly one of those teams. Oh, it's, uh, we're, at, we're basically out of time. And to, to keep the time uh, for you guys to talk, we actually are flashing the picks up from our esteemed panel. Uh, so you can, you can see that on the screen. Uh, but I wanted to ask you guys before we go, who's going to be in the quarters? I think France and England. I think Wales and Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and I think Ireland and Scotland. Well, Japan for Scotland, but otherwise I agree. And that's the fallacy in this tournament, yeah. that, that two of us can sit here and we have, we're halfway through the qualifying stages and we can nominate seven out of the eight and be absolutely right. The only discussion between Mike and I is, is it's gotten to Japan. I, I said on the air, as George talked about Japan, I said Japan was the most overrated team in the tournament, showing why. <laughs> I should keep my picks to myself. Uh, I don't disagree with either, either one of you, but I'm not going to give my picks right now on the, on, on the quarters because we are out of time. But I just wanted to thank both of you for coming on. This has been great. And we're going to follow this up with a segment, Why Sevens is Killing 15s on the Planet with George and Mike, George Hook and Mike Friday next time. But thank you, Mike Friday. <laughs> thank you. Good seeing you as always. And thank you, Mr. George Hook. Yeah, good. All right. On that note, Matt McCarthy for Mr. Mike Friday and Mr. George Hook for Rugby Wrap-Up in Midtown Manhattan signing off.